Welcome back to SACWA question period. <coughs> I should mention, I forgot to mention at the introduction, we thank you, Lethbridge Public Library, for providing this venue. They do that uh, at no charge, so it, it makes it a uh, very friendly place for us to have uh, special sessions. I'd like to welcome uh, Carl Morrison back to the microphone. Uh, there's a mic in the back uh, for asking questions, and I'll be up there uh, moderating, but I think uh, you'll be able to behave yourself plenty good enough so I won't have to step in very often. So go ahead and use the mic at the back for asking questions. situation is obviously tragic. Anytime a human's killed by a grizzly bear or a grizzly bear is killed uh, illegally by a human, it's, it's tragic. I, I, yeah, and, and you could be right about the fate of those cubs. I think they were cubs of the year, and it was, 
it was near, it was close to the, well, it was hunting season, wasn't it? So it was the fall. So they would have been looking to den pretty quickly. And I, you know, it, it's questionable for sure whether those cubs would survive. That, what we do, I mean, I, I, the safest way to answer that question, because I think lots of people all have a different opinion on what should happen to a bear if it has killed somebody. So I think the safest way to answer that question is to say uh, we need to focus on prevention and and really trying to avoid an encounter that, that could turn to injury or, in this case, a fatality. Um, that that's just a tough call. Like what 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 would you, what would happen if that grizzly bear was relocated and killed someone else? Uh, whether that would ever happen, who knows? But the government would definitely definitely be in hot water. You don't think the bear killed? Well, that that's another issue there too. Is is that bear was located by the hunter and and whether and maybe I'll just let you finish before I talk for you. Go ahead. Yeah, he was killed. Yeah, it's killed. And the, another issue that comes up with fatalities in humans is that if, I mean, if a person's been, if or if a body's been partially consumed by a bear, and they find a bear in that region, uh, that bear, more times than not, will be considered the the culprit, and often that time that bear is destroyed. And that's another issue too. Is um, um, you know, who knows how a person dies in the woods? But I mean, if a bear finds a source of food, it, it might use it, and and that's another that's another area that, that that's certainly a gray like that's such a that's such a obviously I don't know how to answer that question clearly. Um, if it was a predatory attack, I, I As far as I know, it was not a predatory attack. It was doing what a mother bear does best. It was protecting its cubs. The hunter was being stealthy, as hunters do. It was in the bear's territory. He probably never announced to the bear by making noise or what we're all supposed to do, being very smart. Mm -hmm. yeah. Individual situations should be looked at individually and looked at the circumstances before they simply go out for the bullets in the bear. Especially when we're talking about about 290, well, maybe 500 adult bear populations and all the rest. To me, it's, it's a complete overreaction. A tragedy, yes, but it became an even major tragedy when four bears were killed, in my opinion, yeah. inappropriately under that particular circumstance. Yeah, and I, I think you just said it best, actually. I think each, each situation needs to be looked at on a situation by situation basis. Um, yeah, I think you said it best.
understood to a viable population of bears, and, and viable, I would guess, because you also stated that that uh, you know they do boar hunting and boar hunting grizzlies. So, so here we're going through an awful lot of trouble to, to get to a viable population, and then and then we're going to, back to our hunting culture, which 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 what. The hunting culture, when it's around grizzly bears, is that it keeps this fear thing going. We talk about this horrible animal. We talk about uh, the ferocious beast out there. And we do that in the hunting world because we can't feel good about killing these animals unless we feel that we're, we're brave ourselves. And so we put this, this thing forward, uh, that the, these animals are so dangerous. They need to be killed. So, so it seems like backsliding if we can. We're going to all this trouble to say, what are we saving these animals for? You know, to amuse ourselves, to, to help them kill them again when they get to a certain number. Uh, you, you look at when your map the U.S. They they do the U.S. has done some amazing things in getting the population. Uh, back again, but as you pointed out, there's the very, the very limited areas. But those dots, are, they've got dense populations in, in those dots, and they've done it with, with great skill and, and people and a lot of feeling going into a lot of hard work. But, but that's, that, it, to me, it's an area also that's important. How, how free are these animals to go onto our ranch land, for instance, and you know, into into areas. Montana is a good example where they're bringing it back out onto the prairie. They're running shows of through through some wonderful efforts through fish and wildlife people. Uh, but I don't see, as you point out, there's not much of this happening in in, in Alberta. And so, anyway, it's, a, it's I just see it as it's an attitude that we have for these animals that we. You know, it's got, there's going to be a lot of caring goes into this, and, and just to talk about caring for them, and then just turning the hunters loose back onto them, and we get them struggle back up to a certain number, doesn't doesn't quite add up as far as I'm concerned. But, but maybe maybe that's just me. Yeah, for sure, and I guess everyone will have have their own opinion on hunting. Um, I think. I think in this province, especially if we ever did restore grizzly bears to a viable population, you'd be hard pressed not to see a hunt reinstated. Um, and I, I think that's just a reality. And my my personal opinion is, um, let's let's cross that bridge when we get to it. Right now, with so few bears, I would say, uh, well, specifically, it was in the news last last week. The Wilmore Wilderness Foundation and the Alberta Fish and Game Association are both advocating for reinstating a hunt. And, and as, um, as, as, as self-proclaimed conservationists, I would, I, would, I would say that they should dedicate this, their time and energy that they're, they're putting into getting a hunt going now in, towards actually recovering the population to a number that could theoretically support a hunt. But as far as, I, I totally understand what you're saying as far as going to all this effort to recover a population and then um, uh, let people loose on them again. But I think that's something that is, is years and years down the road and 
But first and foremost, I think we, we need to get to that level that would be considered a viable population. Um, just quickly to get back to your two questions. Um, so then at the federal level, as I mentioned, it, it was suggested that they be listed as special concern. If, if they were listed as threatened or endangered at the federal level, um, then there's this, this safety net clause. And I mean, this would be great for Alberta because there's a safety net clause in the Species at Risk Act that says if a province isn't taking appropriate measures, then, then the feds can jump in. Um, and that's, that seems to be a, a big fear of our provincial government is to have any sort of uh, heavy-handedness hand, from, from, the, from the federal government. Um, so I think that is, I mean, that is definitely an avenue and it's, and it's one we're going to explore. Right now we're focusing at the provincial level um, because even though, and you're right, I mean, bears don't recognize borders and then there is some transboundary movement between BC and, and Montana. But uh, we, still, we still have set up these regulations and these laws that we will manage our wildlife based on these borders. And in, in Alberta, obviously, we're not doing such a great job at that. And, and right now, that's what we're focused on. And then as far as the trains go, yeah, absolutely, that's, that's a major problem and something that definitely needs to be looked at. And uh, Jim Passat with Defenders of Wildlife, he's based out of Canmore. He's a pretty good voice on that. He, he really tries to keep CPR and Parks Canada in check. Um, but they certainly need to look at uh, other methods. Uh, they do have a vacuum truck that's supposed to go through and suck up grain spills. And it's questionable how well that truck does its job. And in fact, just this year, um, I got pictures of a grizzly bear from December 19th that was hanging around uh, Hillsdale, which is in Banff near Johnson Canyon. Uh, and there had been a grain spill on the tracks. So, I mean, when life's good, like, why hibernate? There's, there's a feast for me. And so he'd been hanging around until the later part of December um, at a grain spill. And that's definitely an issue. And I know when I was working in Banff a couple of years ago, uh, a mother was killed on the tracks, and she had two cubs with her. And it was her, sec her first cub was killed the same day, and the second cub was killed in the, in the next two or three days. Um, just because they hang around the, the mom, and you know, it's only a matter of time before they get hit. So that, I mean, that is certainly something that needs to get looked at. And you know, again, that's where funding comes in. CPR has said that they're going to start to look at their grain carts and and try to address that issue of grain spills. But it's you know, it's just if this was a priority, if this was a commitment, and if we had the money to be doing it, I think things would be getting looked at a lot quicker. Is you asked the question. The previous question was asked by Charlie Russell. Sorry. I'll just go My name's uh, Cheryl Bradley, and I'm looking for hope in this story. And my understanding is that the mountain habitat is the least productive for grizzly bears, but that's where most of our protected areas are. That's where most of our parks are. And I guess I'm fairly confident that in those national parks and provincial parks, we're, we're going to, we're seeing reasonably good management. And I think where they, we really need to put effort here is in those environments, which are the much more productive environments for grizzly bears. 
And it seems to me that our efforts then need to be directed to those who want to protect grizzlies, talking directly to those whose interest is most affected by grizzly bears. The general public can say we support grizzly bear protection all the long, but unless we're starting to deal directly with those people who lose cattle or who feel their families are threatened from grizzly bears, unless we start working with them, we're not going to make really substantial gains. And so I'd like to hear your ideas, ideas you bears initiative has as far as what I think you call call bears smart or what other kinds of ideas are out there to start um, getting a more direct handle on improving the situation and attitudes towards the bears. Yeah, and um, that's a really good point. And, and we are, I mean, this is, a, this is a very new campaign. It's only a couple months old, and so we're always kind of progressing and trying to come up with uh, other ideas. And that's certainly one that's, that we've given some thought. And um, I totally agree that it is going to take some people who, who live and work and, and recreate in grizzly bear habitat definitely need to get involved. And I think they need to get organized. And uh, we are starting to work with it. Uh, I had a meeting with the West Athabasca Bioregional Society a couple weeks ago. They're, a, they're an environmental organization based out of Hinton and the Grand Cache area. Um, and, and they've got some things that they can work on in their specific region and that they're most suited to work on, even better than us because they know that area so well. And for them, they're, I mean, they're in a spot where they're competing uh, directly with Wilmore Wilderness Foundation that wants to reinstate the hunt. So they're, I mean, they're in a good, they're in a good place to be able to uh, kind of counteract that that pro hunt movement at this point. So, so we're working with organizations like that and, and trying to come up with with solutions on a regional basis that can that can help focus on regional issues. And I think uh, Bear Smart um, is is another one that. The government really needs to hear from people, and, and ideally, and organize like a, a community coming together and saying, "We we need to have your guys' support on Bear Smart." And that's going to take some work, and that's definitely something that we're going to look into. Um, but even getting uh, and everything from getting ranchers together. That rancher I talked to on the phone, I tried to convince him to get his buddies together and do something, but I don't think he's really for it. Uh, but getting outfitters, ranchers. These guys who do work or depend on on the on the grizzly bear landscape, uh, they do need to get involved, and and that's something we'll be looking into. So, so, yeah, I guess I should have been more clear about that. When I refer to a road, I'm really referring to an open route. 
and, and according to the recovery plan, an open route is defined as, as any route that is unrestricted to motorized vehicle use, including roads, be it uh, public or industrial, um, seismic lines, trails, cut lines, that sort of thing that has access, like I said, to motorized vehicles, which include trail bikes, ATVs, and 4x4 trucks. And just to add to that, this is, this is one of the problems we're seeing with, with the government's process of access management. They're only looking at open routes that a 4x4 truck can get down. So this isn't going to give us an accurate representation of what, what open routes are. And, and subsequently, I don't think you can't manage for something if, if, you're, ma if you're not managing for the right thing. Thank <laughs> you. 
Anyway, I, I don't know the one size fits all, so I didn't see that in your program. And, and the density more important up north than it is down south. Sure, uh, that's a good question. Um, like you're absolutely right. Grizzly bear recovery does have to be uh, interprovincial. They need to work together, um, and not only Alberta, BC, but also Alberta, BC, and Montana. Uh, and as far as that southeastern portion of BC goes, like the Flathead, that's that's a really good bear habitat, from what I understand. But I I was under the impression, and I could be wrong here, because I just don't know that much about that area. But I thought that they had limited the hunt or, or uh, severely restricted it in areas that... There's only so many licenses, even when they have to hunt in southern Alberta. I think the maximum was six licenses for all of the south. And they were lucky if they killed two of those six tags. Yeah. So hunting wasn't over in BC. It's very limited, but they do hunt. Yeah, um, and so I guess all I can say to that is, uh, uh, I mean, ideally, if, if the government was committed to this and this was a priority, that they, that they would be discussing this issue more so with the BC government and, and trying to arrange something on that end. And I mean, that's that's something like I'm sure you could run a similar campaign to this one in BC. Um, right now, we're focused on Alberta, and ideally, if you got that political will to to take action, it would involve working closely with BC to make sure it happens. But, but I do just want to point out um, that hunting in Alberta wasn't the cause of declining numbers, uh, but it it was the largest cause of human-caused mortalities, and it's the easiest one to control for. And so when we do have the, this view of bears, um, it's certainly something, in my opinion, that, that needs to be cut out of the program until, until we, at least until we start seeing more bears in, and uh, as we talked about earlier, that's something, that's a, that's an issue that would need to be addressed at that point. How about the question about uh, Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, oh, sorry. It's in that letter um, that I, that I added in to Morton. Um, the East Slopes Grizzly Bear Project had 29, I believe, collared bears for a while. And I, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it does say um, how that, the mortality that that little population of 29 bears experienced. And, and it was in the 90 percentile that it was human caused, I believe. Or maybe someone can, can I borrow that quickly? Is that the word? Okay, yeah, uh, so um, this is from 1972 to 2005. These bears were monitored in the eastern slopes. And uh, in Alberta, deaths resulting from natural causes made up 0.3%. Um, and I mean, that's what they found out. And of course, natural mortalities, for a large part, probably go unknown uh, because it's obviously hard to find them. Right. And so, unless they were observed, yeah. it would be hard to say how many, like, those experts I know down in the States do have statistics 
I just want, I don't know tomorrow. And, but what's the chances of a cup growing purity? Yeah, and sorry, I, I don't know that statistic off the top of my head either. That's something I could look into for you. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I did read this right before I came down here, and I, it's, I'm not sure how reliable the site is, so I'll share it with you, but take it with a grain of salt. Uh, he said cubs that survive over two years have a 90% uh, chance of dying from cost, from humans. So I suppose within that two years, there's the increased rate, uh, increased risk of being killed by another male, um, or just other other causes of death that they might experience. But I think if if a bear does uh, survive past that sub adulthood, um, then the odds are that their, I guess their their um, their death will come at the hands of a human. But so when I talk about mortalities, though, um, and and what's sustainable and what's identified in the recovery plan, it, they're looking at human-caused mortality and what they reckon could be sustained. And and that's kind of what we have to work with right now. And based on that, stat alone, uh, we are seeing unsustainable mortality rates. So. Hi, my name is Lisa Lambert. I want to thank you for all for your presentation today. Um, my family are stewards of land that's north of uh, Waterton. I don't like to say we're owners. I like to say it's more as stewards. Um, and so it's the prime sort of habitat for uh, grizzlies. We've had a handful of experiences in my lifetime with grizzlies. But in my lifetime, the area there has gone from being um, very sparsely populated with long-term ranchers that live in, in the valley to um, a great deal of people who come uh, only for short periods of time, often living outside of Canada even, and an amazing influx of shell oil workers because of the industrialization there. And I just wonder if you can address the sort of impact that we would see of, on bears from that sort of major oil and gas um, infiltration into those foothill areas. And yeah, and, and I think, like as I, tr as I tried to get to in the presentation, um, that, that obviously results in uh, like a direct loss of grizzly bear habitat with, with if, um, if new houses and new roads and whatnot are going up. That, that increased human activity also has an increased, um, there's also an increased chance that these, these bears and humans are going to be running into each other and then there's an increased risk of mortality. And uh, I'm sorry, I believe it was you who mentioned uh, you, you do see some bears that are hanging around by a road and don't seem to be affected by it. And, and, and you're absolutely right, bears do have individual personalities and some can tolerate a road. Uh, that bear is at a dramatically increased risk of mortality though, just because it is hanging around and it is so accessible to humans. Um, certain bears won't tolerate roads. Uh, just like some will hang around them, some don't want anything to do with them. And I mean, the impacts of roads can extend, you know, a lot further out than, than the ditch. And uh, in those cases, in those bears, um, that results in obviously more habitat loss as well. And so I guess that's, that's another concern too. Um, 
and interestingly enough, I'll just bring this point up now, I guess, is some places in, in the province people are saying, hey, you know, we see more bears than we've ever seen. Bears are increasing, they're doing just fine. And I think this is kind of what's happening up in Wilmore. And um, maybe it's happening down south here too. But like you say, with the increased activity and, and more and more humans moving into bear habitat, it's a given we're going to see more of them, but it's not indicative that the population is increasing. To what extent do your comments uh, apply towards black bears? Because in my 45 years of fly fishing up through there, there's been, in my mind, a real increase of black bears. And then please, Plain, 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 um, so, and I'm going to, I'll be honest here, I'm not terribly familiar with the state of black bears in the province, but I do know black bears are a little bit more tolerable of, of human development than grizzly bears, and I think they can uh, uh, exist in areas that have higher um, human, you know, higher, higher, uh, higher human activity or, or, or more human development. So. It's my understanding that grizzly bears in the province are doing okay, and, I, and if someone here in the room has has more information on that, by all means, I'd open it to the floor. Oh, did I say grizzly bears are doing okay? No, grizzly bears aren't doing okay. Black bears are, from what I know, black bears are doing okay. And the reason we ask you to state your name is that these sessions are recorded and you can listen to them on the SACPA website. But my question is leading on from a previous questioner's question, and that relates to the federal government. And I recognize that your campaign has just started, and it's good that you're doing it. But have you thought about do you have any allies in the Senate? or the House of Commons, are you going to go down that tack as well? I mean, the polar bear is going. Is the grizzly next? I mean, do we have to wait? Is it now time for you to start thinking about getting allies in the federal government? Uh, yeah, I think it's worth our energy. And that's definitely something that, um, that's definitely an avenue that we would look to explore. Uh, at this point, it's it's minimal. Um, at, at this point, I'm I'm writing a letter to Morton uh, tomorrow, based on some comments that he's recently said, and we I mean we are uh, we are going to copy that to uh, Jim Prentice and and just kind of reiterate what the provincial government has said on their own is that they want to do this on their own and they don't want they don't want to have to deal with the federal government while they're doing it. And I guess we're, what we want right now, with the capacity that we have uh, right now, we want to hold them accountable to that and say, you know, if you guys say you can do this on your own and, and you guys want to do it, uh, let's see it start happening. Um, otherwise, there is this option of going to the federal level. As far as allies go, uh, we don't have, I'm not, I'm not aware of, uh, of any at the federal level. And it. Um, I'm sure there are. There are yeah. Want us to identify who's sympathetic to the cause and who's willing to, you know, do some lobbying. 
And then there's all of a sudden media. You need some allies in the media, CBC, if the governments don't have it. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's, it's a work in progress, and we were really happy in February with our latest news release. We did get national coverage. We had, it was um, covered in the Globe and Mail, uh, the Vancouver Sun, and I think it was picked up somewhere else. So it is a work in progress, and, and that, that is definitely a goal of this campaign. Is I mean, as you saw from this map, I mean, this, this is an at-home issue, but it has continental significance. And um, we, are, we are working on, on making this uh, a nationally visible campaign. Um, but as far as, as targeting the government goes right now, I, I have to say it is focused at the Alberta level. But that will be something we'll explore. Greenlee. I've had uh, several people say to me that they're afraid to go hiking in the wilderness because they're afraid they might be attacked by a grizzly bear. So I, I suspect there's a few people in the public who would be just as happy if there were no more grizzly bears. I don't know how prevalent that attitude might be in the public, but uh, I wonder if uh, there may be some difficulty in, in running out enough public support to convince the government that the grizzly bear should be saved, uh, as being the case. So, well, I don't like to ask this question, but I'll just play the devil's advocate. Why do we want to save the grizzly bear anyway? <laughs> I think that's a question that almost has to be answered on a person-by-person -person basis. Um, why I want to save the grizzly bear is because when I go hiking, I'm not afraid of a grizzly bear. And if I'm lucky enough to see one, I, I, uh, I consider myself pretty fortunate. Um, and like I said at the end of the presentation, grizzlies represent far more than just the species. They're iconic with the wilderness we have in Alberta. And if, and if we're losing that, it, it speaks to something else. And uh, I guess, you know, the truth is, is this campaign won't convert the entire province. There will always be people who, who don't care for grizzly bears. That's a fact. Um, but I think that poll we saw in the Calgary Herald, if you can take it for what it's worth, there's more people in Alberta that want grizzly bears and, and want viable populations of grizzly bears. And I think um, it's achievable. And we need to find those people and they need to speak up.
metronization and more humans. But again, it's because we uh, allow the black bears to be closer, living closer to us. It's, it's us. It's up to us. And it's not. And it's my experience with bears is that they would take glad to be around us if we let them. My grandfather wouldn't allow a grizzly bear on, on our ranch. Back when, when he first homesteaded, and all the neighbors too, ranchers, just opened fire on, on all bears. It was, there was just no question to ask. It. And the belief was that we couldn't exist as ranchers, that they couldn't exist, exist as ranchers. It's uh, a and there. And this has changed, and it's, it's our attitudes that have changed. We see them beside roads because we allow them to be there beside the roads, and we don't freak out. And, and, and the same with the wheat. It's, it's us. And, uh, and so, Graham's question is a good one. Uh, we have to want to have them here, or, or we're just not going to have them. That's all there is to it. We can't leave it up to them tolerating us. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, and and I agree with that point, um, and and hence this campaign uh, is is based on that on that premise that uh, if we want grizzly bears, we have to demonstrate that want. It is up to us. The, the choice is ours if we're going to have bears in the province or not. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chair. My name is Joseph. I'm retired biologist. I worked for modern biology for over years. Uh, I'm totally amazed at how people just forget about the ecosystem and it's a holistic approach to everything. Uh, I just can't see why humans are more superior than anything else because they really are. They were bears were here long before we were on the scene. So I'm, I'm totally awed at the lack of appreciation, understanding of nature, and this is totally way. About my last 30 some odd years, we've taught people something, but obviously we haven't. To the point where you know they have a they have to see money to coexist with anybody else. So but anyway, having said that, bears need a tremendous amount of territory. And I, I I'm not a bear expert, but I know that they need thousands of them. You've indicated about the square kilometers to think about it. This is the 12 month uh, year that they live in, and each area, each time of the year requires a different type of habitat. And as soon as you start, Taking away some of that habitat, you're going to cause a stress on an animal. And as soon as you start seeing people that are, they're not used to seeing people. That stress, it's like you being stressed by a bear, they're being stressed by us. So it's a mutual feeling. It's really unfortunate that we don't give them any space and we don't tolerate them. It's absolutely essential that we do, and I'm totally shocked that the Alberta government, and probably from Saskatchewan, is not uh, uh, serious enough about it. Uh, the issues we have here with, with there, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. You're down to 500 animals to me, the best would be chomping out of the depth and trying to make this an endangered species. But it's a complete storm to us. This is ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't know why we're and, and hunting human activities. Hunting, yeah, it's got an impact, but it's certainly not the, it's the other things that, that cause stress on the animals themselves. Is, uh, could, could you ask the question, please? I'm, I'm just making an observation, okay? I don't have any questions. I've all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nathan and I really don't have any questions based on a comment. And um, I was one of those people who 
came here from Saskatchewan and was one of those who was terribly afraid to go hiking in the Pumis or so my wife might be actually there down there or for that matter to go hiking in the mountains because of that. And um, I think one of the things we need to do is educational. And, and I think the more that we educate people about how to act around the bears and what we can expect, I think that will make a big difference. Um, for me, one of my times came from watching Mr. Russell's uh, thing on TV and then looking at the website and finding out all of a sudden I think we need to be afraid of bears. Uh, a couple of things I've learned, for instance, was like, don't take my dog with me when I go hiking. Not a idea. So it's just really a comment. I'd like to thank you for your presentation. Very informative for me tonight. Thank you. Well, thank you for that. And obviously you hit on a good point that education is, uh, and prevention for that matter, will be absolutely critical in the recovery process. And again, that's, that's something that the provincial government needs to take an active lead on. Thanks for clarifying that. And, and when you mention Ontario, I'll just, I'll just use that to, to do another comparison to Alberta. Um, Ontario's Bear Smart program has put, I believe it's, uh, I'm just going to say three to five million. I think the answer is five, but for some reason three is in my head. They've put three to five million dollars towards their Bear Smart program per year. Um, that, to me, demonstrates a commitment. Uh, I'd be interested if the government could tell us how much they put towards our Bear Smart program in the last few years. But thanks for clarifying. Hi, I'm Sandy now. Um, you were talking about the nine-year-old and wrote to you, what can she do? What can we have our kids do if they want to do something? Yeah, for sure. Well, what I hope to do with this child is, um, is uh, set up um, a presentation with her class. I think that'd be pretty cool if she could bring this, this her concern and, and share it with her classmates. Um, uh, Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society in Calgary have a really good education program set up that at the elementary level focuses on conservation of endangered species. At the secondary level, it's, it's, more fo it's, it's strictly focused on grizzly bears. Um, so I've been talking with them and I've got, I've got a meeting with them next week to try to set something up. Uh, but they're swamped. I mean, and like, they're almost booked up. So hopefully I can get in touch with this girl, and, and I'd like to arrange that, um, you know, she could bring this issue into her class, and I'd certainly be more than willing to go in and talk to them about grizzly bears and, uh, you know, maybe have a class write a, write a letter or have the, the students write a letter if this is something they want to do. Um, on, on a per-child basis, I, I would totally encourage them to write. Um, I mean, I said it, I said it earlier, you know we have to we have to manage our lands and our and our wildlife for future generations. And you know 
what's more powerful than than a member of that future generation saying, "Come on, get serious about this. Like this, this is my landscape. These are these are bears that I want to enjoy when I'm older, and I want to see you take action on that." So, I mean, this is certainly an area. Um, like what what young what young people can do is certainly an area I'm exploring. Right now, I would I would uh, encourage them to write to the minister and the premier and their MLA. And um, again, if if they want to involve their class, uh, by all means, um, contact me and, and we'll see what we can do to arrange uh, maybe coming into the classrooms or if CPAWS has some availability, um, I, can, I can put them in contact with, uh, put, put their teacher in contact with CPAWS. But I think that's a really cool idea and I, I, hope, it, I hope we can do something with it. One more question, last one. Uh, when you were talking, I picked up your comment that you was to try and reduce bear mortality on your pole. Are you aware of the roadkill program of fish and wildlife sustainable resources? Yeah, in southern Alberta here? Yeah. Yeah, that, that feeding intercept program? Yeah, that, that's, that's a, you know, in their behalf. Yeah. They're doing some mitigating things to try and reduce spring uh, human bear conflict. Yeah, for sure. Providing roadkill when they come out of their dance. I just wonder if you're aware of it. Yeah, I'm aware of that. And um, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, but, you know, i got to stick to what I said. I think last year's mortality rates are indicative that not enough is being done. And, and there is more to it than um, vehicle collisions. A lot of it being... Um, uh, well, humans, humans shooting them or, or management having to destroy them. So I am aware of that intercept program and uh, kudos to the government for that, but, you know, that, that's, that, that isn't enough. Thank you very much for your participation and thank you very much to Carl for flying all the way down from Calgary on this not so nice day. Uh, oh, thank you. And I hope to see you all back at some future sacrosessions. sessions. Next Tuesday here at the library for one and more at noon at the country kids and catering. Thank you very much for coming. Sorry about the rant, but I was just too. That's okay. I think um, I will, all, I, all I could have said to that is I agree. <laughs>